This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court today ruled that when it comes to your cell phone location data held by a third party, the cops generally need a warrant. But in a decision that was more than 100 pages, most of those pages were devoted to dissents, differing ideas about the reasonable expectation of privacy, property interests in your data, and more. Cato's Ilya Shapiro and Julian Sanchez break down the ruling of Carpenter v. United States. There were a string of robberies in the Toledo area, and um, police uh, uh, arrested someone. There was a confession, and they began to suspect certain other people, but uh, either they didn't have probable cause or in any event they did not seek a warrant. What they did, though, was ask uh, uh, various cell phone companies for data on the location of various cell phones that were then traced to uh, their owners. And based on that, uh, they found that the cell phones were pinging off towers in the general area of the uh, the stores, cell phone stores, ironically, that had been robbed uh, and so arrested the people who were the owners of those cell phones and ultimately got convictions. And Mr. Carpenter uh, challenged his conviction on the ground that the police uh, conducted a search of his, uh, of his data uh, improperly. They needed a warrant. And this is uh, what went up to the Supreme Court, which decided five to four that indeed this was a violation of the Fourth Amendment, uh, extending uh, somewhat the reasonable expectation of privacy test that's been around for more than 50 years now, that you don't give up your privacy when uh, even a third party has some of that data, at least in this context, when we're talking about cell phone location data. The court was very cautious. John Roberts, uh, the chief justice, wrote the majority opinion joined by the the four Democratic uh, appointees uh, saying we're not setting new doctrine. This is a narrow ruling, doesn't affect other technologies, doesn't affect national security related investigations. But at least in the context of cell phone data, uh, you maintain a privacy interest in that uh, and the police need a warrant. Very interesting dissents. Each of the four uh, other Republican appointees uh, uh, filed a separate dissenting opinions, which uh, we should get into because they, they, they're, 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 they're fascinating. But in the end, uh, I characterize this as uh, the right result. Cato filed a brief uh, supporting Mr. Carpenter for the wrong reasons, uh, which we should get into. I, mean, I think this is a, a really significant decision, despite the majority's attempts to characterize it as, as quite narrow, uh, because... It really, for the first time, I think, uh, shows a stopping point for the the third party doctrine, which was first articulated in a, a couple of cases in the late 1970s. Uh, the principle in those cases was that uh, when you voluntarily disclosed information to a third party, like the bank uh, or your phone company, you were essentially waiving your Fourth Amendment privacy interest in that information. Uh, and in 1979, it was a fairly limited body of data that was held for us in de- about us indefinitely by third parties. Uh, changes in technology mean uh, now almost everything you do, not just where you are from moment to moment, uh, being recorded by your, your phone and other computing devices, uh, but what you read, the details of uh, the kind of things you're searching for. Um, a lot of things that used to be essentially mental activities, inherently private, not something that left any kind of uh, trace, certainly, you know, even in your on your own person, let alone in the hands of a third party, is now 
routinely uh, tracked and stored because uh, you know data storage has become so incredibly cheap, and the ability to search through that data uh, has improved so so much. And so, um, I think what a lot of privacy advocates had worried was that without some reexamination, um, the third party doctrine would really vitiate the Fourth Amendment in uh, in a lot of essential ways. Um, that there would be so much ability to gather detailed and infin- infinite, intimate information about people um, from third-party databases that you'd have uh, this enormous capability to search uh, removed from the regulation of the Fourth Amendment. And so um, while this is a, a decision specifically about cell location records, I think if they are serious about applying the principles articulated here that, hey, um, just because information is held by a third party, it doesn't automatically take it outside the protection of the Fourth Amendment. Um, that's that's something I think you know defendants are going to be very eager to point out. Uh, there are lots of different types of information uh, where the same logic would suggest uh, departing from the third party doctrine. All right. This is uh, from, I, I believe, the majority opinion here. This is quoted by uh, Oren Kerr on Twitter. Uh, the, the opinion reads, This is certainly not to say that all orders compelling the production of documents will require a showing of probable cause. The government will be able to use subpoenas to acquire records in the overwhelming majority of investigations. We hold only that a warrant is required in the rare case where the suspect has a legitimate privacy interest in records held by a third party. So as an the average person on the street, how are you to interpret the idea of uh, the kinds of records in which you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? Yeah, it's nebulous. And it gets more and more nebulous the farther we get from the Katz case in 1967 that established this reasonable expectation of privacy test. See, the way that Fourth Amendment jurisprudence has, has gone, it's sort of the court decides that every every now and again, every couple of generations, there's need to there needs to be a revolution in how they interpret uh, uh, what's uh, what's reasonable or what your privacy interest might be. Uh, uh, in the 20s, uh, the court once ruled that uh, telephonic communications, as long as they weren't tapping your phone in your home, was okay because after all the telephone wires are in the public domain. Then uh, then cats turned that around when uh, somebody went into a, a phone booth and thereby hid themselves and their uh, and their sound waves that they were uh, making into the phone and so taking steps to to have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the conversation. And they're still trying to apply that kind of uh, logic from the analog world into today's digital technology. Now, uh, I would argue and have argued, uh, along with uh, former Cato colleague Jim Harper uh, in our briefs, that uh, you need to rethink this whole thing. And it's not about whether your expectation of privacy is reasonable. It's whether the if you've taken steps to protect your property, information, data, contract, whatever it might be, whether that step is physical, digital, contractual, legal, or something else, uh, then it's the onus is on the government to prove that their search is uh, is reasonable, or they don't need probable cause to get a warrant, and or, or, or that sort of thing. And that actually is what Justice Gorsuch is getting at in his dissent, which is really a concurrence in all but name. He says he can't join the judgment because the uh, Carpenter's lawyers didn't argue uh, this theoretic uh, basis. Uh, sufficiently in their briefs to to preserve it, but uh, getting back to uh, to what you originally asked, yeah, the majority opinion, which is very short, 
this whole, all of the writings today were about 120 pages. The majority of that is only 23. And it's it tries to write this as a ticket good for not just this train, but for uh, other related cases where uh, there's not kind of an emergency situation or some other type of statute about using subpoenas, but at least where it looks more like normal police work, they do need a warrant uh, to get that. Really unclear. There's going to be a lot of litigation uh, from defendants trying to uh, quash evidence that was collected uh, uh, without a warrant in various contexts. Uh, So it it kind of, um, in the statement that I put out, I I said that it was putting barnacles onto a a rusty rusty and outmoded hull of of that reasonable expectation of privacy test. So uh, uh, sorry I can't give you a a bright line here, but... uh, that's the way that neither the, did the, the court. Exactly right. No, I mean, I, th- I think I, th- I think that's right. That that um, it's you know this this, op- this does open up a can of worms. Uh, once you say you can't just mechanically apply the third party doctrine to everything that's not uh, you know the content of a communication, um, then the question becomes: Well, all right, if if uh, you know phone billing information is uh, accessible without a warrant, but phone location information. Uh, does require a warrant. What about all the other kinds of data uh, our devices generate or our our online activity generates? What about information about IP addresses? Uh, That's not voluntarily conveyed in the same way. Uh, When you you connect to a website, you are in a sense sending them information about your location on the internet uh, that may or may not be easily mappable to a physical location. Um, That's uh, the kind of of data that uh, investigators routinely get in uh, criminal investigations. So is IP data uh, in the in the uh, the box with the billing information, or is it in the box with uh, the location information? There's going to be a lot of different kinds of data uh, that that courts are, are you know, predictably going to be asked to answer the. Uh, the same and, question. And it's almost like a balancing test, partly based on how intimate or private the information is, whatever that might mean. Um, is there how encrypted is it? What what kind of uh, password protection might you have put it on? I mean, again, it's you know, were you expecting this to be to be private? While at the same time, the court has repeatedly ruled that you don't get Fourth Amendment protect, protection over uh, over uh, a criminal activity. So how do all of these kind of mushy doctrines fit together? Um, unclear. All right. So uh, Sarus Faravar writes, mm-hmm. uh, and this is uh, something that we should keep in mind when the when the court talks about uh, the potential for embarrassing the future. Um, he says that the facts of Carpenter took place eight years ago. How much better has your smartphone, much less surveillance tech, gotten in that time? And he argues for more regulation up front. Sarusa, who is an uh, editor at uh, Ars Technica, where I once uh, once was an editor myself, uh, has written a, a very lively book called Habeas Data. Uh, and it's a, a kind of engaging history of some of the major Fourth Amendment cases of the last uh, 50 years. And uh, one of his arguments is essentially that instead of waiting for the courts to deal with these uh, thorny questions after the fact, uh, it's incumbent on Congress to pre-regulate, essentially to... to uh, make rules governing the use of novel technological uh, methods for searching uh, before they end up making their way through the courts. And I think he makes a very sound point. Um, you know, by the time this, so first of all, you know, the the idea of tracking people by cell phone location records is not novel. Police have been doing this for decades uh, by a variety of different mechanisms, um, and and so, you know, very often you have these questions 
finally getting a resolution as to whether the, uh, the Fourth Amendment protects against this kind of government conduct um, when it's been ongoing for 20 or 30 years. Um, and the facts on which the courts are making a decision, as, as Sarus points out, uh, are often rather outmoded. Um, at the time the search of uh, Carpenter's cell records was conducted, um, the precision of cell phone location was much lower. Uh, in an urban area now, because of the demands of smartphones, which you've got all this uh, need for data traffic, um, the, the sort of demands on towers have risen enormously. Uh, so the density of towers, in, especially in urban areas, has risen enormously, which means um, you can pinpoint someone using these records far, far more precisely than you could even eight or 10 years ago. One, because the phones are checking in uh, more frequently. There's more uh, occasions on which that cell site and sector information, that location information is recorded. It's not just when you're making a call now, but every time your phone is checking your email or uh, running some other kind of uh, data use in the background. Um, and the towers are much more tightly spaced. Very often now you may even uh, you know, be able to know what floor of a hotel someone is on uh, when they're using their phone because uh, you know, large buildings will even have micro uh, cells, essentially, not really towers, but, um, but micro cells that can even place you within a particular building. Um, so fortunately, in this case, we do see the court sort of recognizing that the state of the art of the technology has changed. Uh, and so they're more attentive to what in the present day uh, cell location information looks like. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is a scenario where very often the court is you know, not just taking its time getting to uh, ruling on these essential questions, but is presented with a set of facts that may not uh, really reflect the state of the art. Uh, Ilya, uh, with respect to the other dissents, we, we talked briefly about uh, Neil Gorsuch and his concern about uh, or his ideas relating to a property interest in uh, certain data. What do we get from the other dissents? Well, Gorsuch is actually broader than simply a property interest. Uh, he talks about, uh, as Julian alluded, that even when you give certain things to a third party, it doesn't mean you, you, you lose any interest, privacy, property, contractual, or, or otherwise. It's a much broader first principles rethink uh, of the Fourth Amendment so that uh, the court isn't uh, hidebound by this uh, by the cat's reasonable expectation of privacy test. But anyway, uh, since you mentioned property interest, uh, uh, Justice Thomas's dissent focuses on that. And like Gorsuch, uh, says that the uh, the the fifty year old doctrine uh, under Katz, as well as the third party doctrine, are are outmoded, and we need to focus more on property. Kind of like what Justice Scalia did with the GPS tracking case when it was about a violation of the person's car physically, uh, rather than any expectation of privacy uh, sort of thing. Uh, doesn't go as broadly as Gorsuch into kind of going beyond the property interest and looking at these other things. Um, uh, Justice Kennedy, who is the main dissent, you can say, because it's joined also by Thomas and Alito, simply uh, disagrees with the majority's uh, uh, characterization of how to apply the reasonable expectation of privacy test because of both the third party doctrine and, and certain other things. Anyway, that it, it kind of directly engages with, with Chief Justice Roberts' majority. And then Alito's dissent uh, looks at the statutory scheme and says that um, what the majority says may or may not be right, but when there's a, 
uh, a statutory scheme involving a subpoena with an administrative regulatory regime, as in the case uh, here with the Communication Secrecy Act, uh, then, uh, well, you know, we just follow those rules and, and don't need to look at what we might do uh, at common law. Litigation will be ongoing uh, with respect to this. Uh, is this truly a uh, ticket for one or relatively few trains in the future, or could this be broadened to include things like requests for you know uh, Americans who may uh, be suspected of some sort of national security threat? No, I think for national security, the court would treat this much differently, and Roberts uh, said as much. I, I don't think there would be five votes to to quash that kind of data collection. But in terms of law enforcement, uh, you could see if someone, if, if if police needed to get some sort of financial or uh, health records or I don't know whatever other kind, not 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 simply cell phone uh, location, uh, you could see arguments presented that they uh, even if there's a statutory scheme that uh, allows them simply to subpoena or or not get anything, just just ask or or what have you, um, they might get pushed back there. But this will change police practices, and so it won't necessarily get cases all the time. I think police will. Uh, as they adjust uh, to every uh, Fourth Amendment ruling, whether it be on on blood draws or Miranda warnings or anything else, uh, there will be new uh, uh, policies put in, in in police forces around the country and and for the FBI, for that matter, at the federal level, uh, to to deal with this. Uh, and and so, if it is simply the the, the fact that a, that a third party may uh, host potential data or, or possess it uh, will not be enough. I think there's going to be a seeking of more warrants, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it remains to be seen. Uh, you know, the original Katz decision that we've referenced uh, a number of times here uh, did sort of explicitly say, well, the court is not deciding here whether uh, a warrant is required for a wiretap or a you know, microphone planting um, in cases involving national security. And then a few years later uh, in uh, the so-called Keith case, um, uh Essentially, a unanimous Supreme Court said, "Yeah, no. Even even when national security is involved, the the warrant requirement applies." So, um, I, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that they are not deciding that question here. Um, that's not the kind of case that's in front of them. Uh, but it, I don't think it forestalls coming to the same conclusion a couple of years down the line in a case uh, that does involve that. And I think, uh, given the uh, enormous fecundity with which the government issues national security letters for telecommunication records, uh, it seems pretty likely that sooner or later uh, that is that is going to come up. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in Constitutional Studies, and Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow, both of the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.